Geek Gab number 378 for Tuesday, January 31st, 2012. Ah, greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips. We try to provide some answers along with some tips of our own and, of course, cool stuff found and all together learn something new about the Mac and Apple products. Here, back in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here, back in fearful Connecticut, John F. Braun. So, of course, uh, this is this will make two shows in two days for us, John, which I don't think is a record, but certainly ties our record. But uh, but we didn't actually record. Well, you didn't record anything yesterday. I recorded a a little outro yesterday. Mm -hmm. So in a general sense, we didn't record anything since Friday, but it took a little while to get the audio from Macworld Expo and, of course, to uh, or from Macworld iWorld, I should say. Mm. And uh, and post it. So uh, so 377 went up yesterday and uh, here we are recording 378. But really and and, and to tweak it, you had to tweak it due to my. Uh, oh, my technique. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. One of us was closer to the mic than, uh, than the other one, uh, even though we had separate microphones at, at, uh, at on the stage at Macworld. One of us mm-hmm. floated, floated far away from the mic. Yeah, often. just wild and crazy. Well, I respect know. Yeah. Those were SM, were, were those SM, I think they were SM58s, the old classic, right? They were sure SM58s that we used at Macworld. That's right. Well, enough about Macworld, though. It was, oh gosh, and you know, it was, it was just so, so awesome that, um, to meet so, uh, quite a few listeners. Uh, I'm still shocked that, you know, people saw me on the show floor and said, you know, hi, John, how's it going? That's nice. Yeah, there were, it was, it was a, um, I, so this Macworld Expo, Macworld iWorld was different. And we didn't talk about this during during the last show because we were all there uh, and everybody was experiencing it. But it is worth saying, you know, since Apple has left, IDG has had some freedoms that they that in their mind they didn't have before. Whether whether they could have done these things with Apple there or not, uh, they did not. With Apple uh, there, they they pretty much put on what I would call a very traditional expo. Where there was a show floor and uh, and there were some conferences and that was about it. Uh, you know, maybe a keynote or two, obviously, but uh, but for the most part, a very traditional expo. But uh, but since Apple has left, they've felt this freedom. And I think it really manifested itself this year. Uh, and the freedom was to change the event and do what they want with it. And and this year, if you kept your blinders on, you certainly could have treated this like any prior Macworld Expo. You could have gone to the exhibit floor and you could have gone to the conference sessions or one or the other and simply seen nothing else. But uh, but opening your eyes even just a little bit uh, allowed you to see that there was a lot more going on. And it really turned into what I would call more of a festival than uh, than an expo. Uh, certainly the exhibit floor was there, like I said, and, and so were the conferences. Right. Mm-hmm. But. I mean, you know, it like and it hit me Thursday as I was on my way to something new that they were doing called this rapid fire session, which really was sort of a spin on on uh, traditional right. conferences. It was cool, though. There were about, I don't know, 10 or 15 of us that that each did five minutes of of something. And the topics ranged. I mean, uh, Chuck Latornis talked about um, uh, 
Oh gosh, Chuck, I forget what you talked about, but it was good. I'm, I remember learning something from it. Of course, I haven't slept a lot since. It must have been really, it, it was, was so good that <laughs> it wiped your memory. It, did, it wiped my memory. But, uh, and then Chris Breen talked and, and I talked and, and uh, Kyle Weens for my fix it talked. And it was, it was good. It was a, you know, but everybody talked about something different for five minutes and tried to teach people or, or inform people. And it was a lot of fun because I got to see all my peers, uh, um, present and oftentimes we don't get to do that because we're up against each other time slot wise or, or what have you. So it was on my way to that, that I realized, wow, you know, I just, I had, I had spent some time on the show floor. I'd given a normal session that morning. And then I had that afternoon, the, the, the band Mo was there in as part of the festival. They, um, they were interviewed. Chris Breen actually interviewed him and then, uh, and then they played and they played on iPads for a couple of songs and then they moved to, you know, standard, their standard equipment and, uh, and played, you know, probably a, a short, maybe 20, 30 minute set on, uh, on, you know, full electric. And, and I thought, man, this is fun. This is totally something that never would have happened at, at prior shows. This is really loose and really an event for the attendees and, and really a lot of fun. And then of course, uh, as many of you may have heard, it wrapped up with a drum circle led by uh, legendary world renowned drum circle leader, Arthur Hull. Yeah, I was wondering what because I was downstairs and all of a sudden I hear this racket on the second floor and I was like, yeah. what, what is going on? Yeah. yeah, that was that was very unusual, very, uh, very tribal communal. It was communal. Activity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, And this guy was really good. They had drums donated by Remo. Uh, so anybody that wanted to participate had a drum. Um, and, uh, I think there were, there's pictures up on TMO, but there were like 500 people at, at the peak of it, uh, participating in this thing. And it was awesome. It really, it was cool. And it, it was the kind of thing that had Apple, um, not left and, and had IDG not felt that freedom, it never would have happened. Certainly they could have done this at uh, previous expos, but, but it just, what didn't fit. And, uh, and now it does. And it really is kind of a celebration of the community, which is, uh, which is the right direction for IDG to take. So, uh, yeah. so I thought it was good. Well, it, you know, it, I, I think it was my best too. So one thing I got to do was visit the, uh, mothership. Yeah. So you treated it, it more like a fan event too. That's right. Yeah, well, I, I did different things. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, so a bunch of us, um, a bunch of us went to uh, Cupertino and uh, went to One Infinite Loop. Yeah, took some pictures. Went to the company store. Got some paraphernalia. Yep, which is nice. Um, met lots of. Uh, and th- to me, the show floor was the, the. I almost wasn't able to cover the whole thing between all the other things I was doing. Yep, I think there were plenty of vendors and plenty of um, interesting new uh, products uh, to, to see there. I think, yeah, the sessions uh, again, they, they did a, you know, variation or did some new type of things in addition to the traditional uh, presentations they had before. I think uh, yep. a lot of people liked that they had this iFan pass, which is like a reasonably priced pass that lets you get into certain things. Because before, I think there was too much of a delta. Well, that's right. So, yeah, this that you year- got either exhibits for, you know, tens of dollars or you had to go for full, you know, something for a couple of thousand dollars. And, and it was like either or. So, yeah, no. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it was good. So normally exhibits you could get. I think the price was like 25 on site was way more expensive than that, but nobody ever, you know, few people register on site. So, you know, ahead of time you can get an exhibits pass for 25 bucks, but if you played your cards, right, you could get an exhibits pass for free this year. uh, If you played your cards, right, you could still get it for free, but 
not from IDG. You had to kind of find another avenue to do it. Right. Exhibitors had the ability to give some away, um, but it was still 25 bucks. And then again, ahead of time, if you signed up for this iFan pass, it was uh, 75 bucks. So in what, and, and this is the same thing that used to cost $300 as a user conference pass. It's exactly the okay. same thing. So they really lowered the price on that. And even on site, it was 115 bucks, which was still really cheap. And that got you into everything, all the evening events, uh, all the conference sessions. It was really fantastic. So, um, so yeah, I think lowering the price on that is smart because it, it makes it accessible for more people to actually attend and experience everything as opposed to just the exhibit hall. And that, and that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, I don't, I don't know if you got a picture, but, but one thing that kind of, I, I don't think I've seen this before. Maybe we have, I just didn't pay attention, but on Saturday, um, there was a line <laughs> coming out of Moscone West for people wanting to see the show, which, you know, a lot of people, I guess, can't go during the week because they, right. they have a, a day job and stuff, but it was a, but yeah, I saw people taking pictures saying, oh my gosh, you yeah. know, the last, last day of the show. And there's a line going out uh, outside of <laughs> Moscone West for people I, I waiting believe, to sign up. I, I, I have not clarified this, but I believe there was a Groupon deal uh, oh. to, ex- to attend on Saturday, but that's really smart. I mean, why not? Right. It's the last day of the show. Get people in there. And it was, it was, it was jam packed on Saturday, uh, everywhere. So it yep. was good. Yeah. So great show. And, uh, and I got to say other events grew in, uh, such as Cirque du Mac had even more cool things happening. That's right. We had <laughs> lasers. Nice. nice. You had freaking lasers. <laughs> you had, um, uh, what else? Uh, uh, stilts, someone on stilts, someone, yep. uh, yep. roller had, skating around, uh, uh, we had a magician. It gets better every year. I, I, I hear. Oh, he was good. Oh he my was? gosh. Okay. I never saw. He, he did. Funny. He did some close up. Uh, I was, st- uh, I was with some of the, but he did some close up card tricks that y- you were just like, how is this guy doing this stuff? I mean, it was uh, the up close magic that you see a lot of people do. And, and you were just like, how is he doing this? And it's right in front of you. Right. Right. Yeah. He, oh. he, he was very good. And, and you That's know, the great. tattoos and, and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah. and then the band played. As, as if oh yeah they, right. they were pretty good yeah yeah it was, no, it was, it was, Cirque was a fun night this year definitely the best one yet yeah well next year it's going to be Cirque du Mac 10 or X I'm not sure we'll have to I think see. I think we should use an X yeah well, you're probably right but we'll say 10 yeah <laughs> right that's right exactly yes all right all right so uh let's uh let's share some tips in fact this first tip was sent to us by many many people uh one of whom said i don't think you should i'm 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 sharing this tip with the two of you but i don't think you should share it on the show because uh it's too good and we don't want too many people to know about it but that's just not how we roll so uh so uh here's jared's interpretation and version of of this tip uh kind of referring back to your rant john on show 375 about having to see DVD previews uh, for the DVDs you've rented. Hey guys, Jared from Indiana. I uh, listened to my first show, uh, show 375. Heard you uh, talking about the issue of sitting through previews on uh, DVDs. Don't know if you've tried this or not, but if you hit the stop button two times in a row, let the DVD player kind of stop processing for about five seconds or so, then hit the play button again, it will go right to the beginning of the movie. Seems to always work for me. I just thought I'd pass that along. Thanks. 
And thank you, Jared. And welcome, wow. to, uh, welcome to the Mac Geek Gap family too. Yeah, that's. Oh my uh, god, the first it, he listened to the first show and he read that. Uh, thank you, Jared. Yeah, that's what makes our job cool. <laughs> it, it totally is. Uh, I found a couple of others, Dave. Actually, okay. so I, I dove into this, and apparently there are a couple of other options. So another one is a variation of what Jared told us about, which is stop, 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 play. And then I found another technique, which is stop, play, stop, play, stop, play. But it all involves fiddling with the stop and the play button right. uh, to, to get past these things. You know, I got to say, the only ones I noticed, Dave, that, that I get that specifically let you jump past things are most most of the Disney ones. And I think they actually call it fast play. They're like, all right, if you want to watch these previews, cool. If you don't, then then hit the menu button, which, right. which I think is as it should be. I mean, why force people? I don't know. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It's certainly annoying, if, if not crazy. Well, if I see a preview for a movie that I, I know I may want to watch, then I'll watch the preview. You but know, if the, I don't. The other thing uh, is, if you're going to do that to me, put right on there, you know, warning. And you don't have to say warning because that, of course, makes it sound bad. But put includes 10 minutes of previews before the feature starts, because then what I'll do is I'll go and press play while I'm still like you know, getting popcorn or whatever and kind of floating mm. in and out of the room and getting things set up as opposed to, cause sometimes, you know, before we watch a movie, I'll light a fire or whatever. And I sort I like to have previews. I actually really like to watch movie previews because sometimes I'll hear about a movie. Oftentimes I'll hear about a movie I don't know about. So, uh, so there you go, you know, but, uh, but don't, yeah. don't make me wait until I'm totally settled and I've already spent 10 minutes doing something yeah. to, to then make me sit through 10 well, more minutes. Then again, it's the same in the movie theater. I, I think there actually have been people that have proposed legislation to say that the advertised start time of the movie should be the action when the movie time. starts and not when they start one, two, three, four, five, six. I think six is the most I've seen. <laughs> All right. All right. Jordan got uh, something for us. Actually, we're going to go to Ezra. Uh, let's let's oh, hear about right. uh, Let's hear about this. Hey guys, it's Ezra from LA. I'm having an interesting problem and I don't know if you've encountered it, but I thought as a way of, uh, at least of warning, I would tell people what's going on. Um, I have an older MacBook Pro uh, pre-unibody um, and I was running Snow Leopard. I made a carbon copy cloner bootable backup of the main disk of the hard disk and um, as I've done for years and I booted off it made sure everything was good and then I installed Lion uh, just yesterday I had occasion to go back to my um, boot disk and I should uh, say by the way I was running file vault and still am running file vault on my uh, internal drive on my MacBook Pro uh, I made a bootable backup um, as I said I booted off of it yesterday it booted okay the first time and then I had to restart, and now my file vault folder is inaccessible. It says it's corrupt, nothing can fix it, uh, no good, no nothing. Uh, so just for experimentation's sake, I did the exact same thing with a brand new disk, and I backed up my Lion install. And the same exact thing happened. I uh, ran Carbon Copy Cloner, made a complete copy of it, booted off of it, it's fine, I reboot can't get into file vault nothing will fix file vault fsck nothing i have tried yet will fix the file vault folder and i happened to open the file vault control panel on uh, under system preferences on my macbook pro and something pops up and says you are using legacy file vault do you want to turn it off so i figure i'll try that well there's not enough room on my disk to turn off file vault and 
none of my backups uh, are restorable, so I'm kind of stuck. Now I've got to attach yet another drive and throw out enough material to be able to turn. I need 100, another 120 gigs. I have to throw 120 gigs off my drive to be able to turn off Legacy ViaVault. So I don't have a fix yet. If you guys do, I'd love to know. And just as a warning to anybody else, before you upgrade Snow Leopard to Lion, make sure you turn off File Vault um, because you could get hosed like I am now. And uh, it's unpleasant, and I'm having a whole runaround. Uh, cut here. Cut. Uh, yeah, I have I have heard of this happening, but had not had up until Ezra had not heard of someone who was in a position. He's kind of in a pickle there because he doesn't have enough room to defile vault. And so he's sort of stuck. So, uh, so yes, thank you for the warning, Ezra. John, do you have any, any thoughts for him? I, mean, I think his, his Why concept <sighs> of, of doing it with, you know, with another drive is the right way to do it. But do you have any other thoughts for, for getting him out of this pickle? Well, now, he, now to clarify, now the file vault uh, pre lion was, um, I think basically doing an encrypted disk image, right? Encrypted disk image of your user folder. Yes. Of just your user folder. So I'm, right. I'm, uh, I'm kind of, now I have not, and, and I probably should, but I ha- I have not ever, uh, at least on my personal machines used a uh, file vault, but oh, no, really? I, I you find don't it, use it on your, on your travel, um, MacBook pro. Nah, I probably should. Yeah. It dude, it's so fast. I, I've turned it on. Well, like, now that they fixed it, that it's not lame and that it's, it's doing a, so one that the problems with the old version of file vault was one, it was just doing user folder. And number two, it was basically doing a, a encrypted disk image, making that or undoing it. So when you boot up, it would then de-image uh, it. Well, it and then, then you would it. see it. Yeah. Uh, I guess the thing that confuses me is, as far as I know, the only thing that was happening there is that you were basically applying a password to a, an encrypted disk image. So I'm, I'm curious That's as right. to why it got confused, but I guess it, it, it could happen. Of course, now the, the version they have now is done the right way in that you have a password or key for the entire drive. Correct. Yes. Um, but I guess yeah. this caution is good is that you, uh, so I'm, I'm wondering, so the advice here, I guess, is, I don't know, before migration, you should probably un... I think that's right. Yeah. 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 De- decrypt prior to migration. Huh. Yeah. But yeah, you know, the new file vault, it, you know, it's almost a shame that they kept the name because the old file vault was so bad that uh, that there's this hesitation for people to use it because the new file vault has the same name, but, uh, but no, it's awesome. And it's so fast. Uh, the, the encryption process of course is way faster on an SSD than it would be on a, uh, on a spindle drive. I've done it on both, but, uh, but once it's encrypted, it really, there's, I've not noticed a single difference in performance. It just works. So, uh, it's good stuff. Well, I think as you pointed out, Dave, I think we talked about this recently, but because the Intel, I believe the Intel processor now has a instruction to do AES encryption, the which I, I think seven. is what 5 volt. Oh, the i7s. Only. Okay. Yes. Okay. So on i7 equipped machines, it should be virtually instantaneous because they but have. I, I tried it on a Core 2 Duo as well. Uh, a Core 2 Duo with a spindle drive. And like I said, it took a while to encrypt, but right. once it was done, no noticeable performance difference. Well, yeah, I think AES on any modern processor is is, is pretty snappy. Pretty, so. yeah. That's I think that's right. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, moving to our friend Robert here with yet another tip. Robert says, 
Uh, for a few months, particularly since upgrading to Lion, I have been getting tons of beach balls and generally sluggish behavior on my Mac, sometimes frequently uh, complete standstills for a minute or so. I kept noticing a problem with QT kit server in the console. After some research, I found that this might be due to Parian and or three IVX trying to deal with a corrupt AVI. I couldn't find the corrupt AVI file, but I deleted Parian and three IVX and the problem has cleared up. Uh, you know, we've we've talked a lot about these weird uh, lion issues, especially on machines that have been upgraded. And uh, and I've shared the tip uh, that works for me on on the one machine where I see this. And that is the uh, moving the volume up or down uh, seems to unfreeze the machine for whatever reason. That's just weird. I know. And I'm not the only one. I mean, there's a lot of you out there that 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 solves it. Um <laughs> I was reading a note from a listener today that said that suggested that this is all related to failing spindle drives, uh, which could make sense with the volume thing, too, because essentially what's happening is the system's waiting for the drive to to kind of respond and the drive's really busy. And the volume thing makes uh, generates a hardware interrupt and because it's it's triggering the sound and then everything's good. So, I you know. I could believe it, I guess. Uh, I guess I should do a uh, a surface scan of that drive, and that will uh, that will answer any questions. So, I'm going to add something. Go, because uh, the, this uh, I have seen problems uh, of this sort that that involve either audio or video. Okay, and I'm going to tell you a place to look. And actually, now I'm looking on my Mac Mini, which is Snow Leopard. And I see some old crusty uh, things in, in a specific folder. Okay. So here's a tip. If you ever run into audio or video problems, I'm going to tell you where to look. Go. And you want to look in slash library slash QuickTime. So uh, user folder library or root Either. Okay. Both. Both. Okay. Now, for example, right now, I'm looking, Dave, in library, slash library slash QuickTime on my Snow Leopard machine. Yeah. I got some goodies here that are dated 2005. Yeah. I got XVID codec and AC3 codec. They're both dot .component files. So these are ways to extend the QuickTime architecture to, to handle different media types. But sometimes, especially like, yeah, in my case, I mean, 2005 was uh, whatever. See Jag days. Jaguar or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're running into these issues, look in, uh, as they pointed out, either in slash library slash QuickTime or user folder. And actually, I'm going to look on the Snow Leopard machine uh, library QuickTime. But within that folder, again, um, to extend the QuickTime architecture or the audio or video. Actually, these are newer. So the old crusty ones are in my system level one. The, the newer ones, and I only see two right here, Perian and EC3 movie import. And those are both dated 2011. So okay. yeah, 2005 would have been uh, either 10.3 or 10.4. 10.4 was released in uh, April of 2005. So I should probably ditch those. Yeah, I'm guessing they're not doing you any good. Yeah, just a, just a hunch, though. I might be wrong. Uh, Robert also has a uh, a cool stuff found, which will lead us. We might as well do cool cool stuff found now. Uh, Robert suggests air dictate an amazing new 99 cent iphone app that allows him to use his iphone as a dictation microphone for his mac he says it works flawlessly so uh so there you go that's cool stuff found number one we like that cool stuff found mm -hmm. is good all right uh let's do a couple more cool stuff 
cool stuffs found? I guess it would just be cool stuff founds. But how would that work? What's the right pluralization of that, John? Cool stuffs found? I don't know. Is it like grandfathers in law? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Phil writes, check out Card Munch for iOS. It's from LinkedIn. Uh, an actual person. So he, uh, we were talking about business card scanners, uh, and I mentioned Prismo. But he said, check out Card Munch because an actual person looks at the scanned card and then uh, confirms that the address book entry is uh, correct. And he says uh, it keeps all the scanned cards in the app separate from the address book if you like as well. So uh, so there you go. That's that's Card Munch. And Card Munch, near as I can tell, is free. I don't think the service cost. I don't know how it works. Really? Well, the app wow. is free and I didn't see any in-app purchase or anything. So. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> wow, this, that must be a terrible job, though. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, not good. But hey, somebody's employed. I just I wonder how they're right. they're they're being paid. I don't know. Doesn't make sense to me, John. Yeah. All right. Mm. Uh, moving to Bob. <gasps> this is Doctor the Bob. the Bob. That's Doctor right. Bob. Levitus, that's who, right. Who who we saw it, uh, and yeah, I think you saw him uh, at, the, at the show too, Bob. For, uh, yeah, Dave. for a little while. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> in the band, in the band, on stage. That's right. We sang a little bit together. Uh, so uh, Bob writes. Uh, in we were discussing easy ways to uh, control Macs from remote, and he says we've used a product called Mac Helpmate at MacHelpMate.com for remote control support for over five years. It's a zero config solution specifically designed for Mac consultants. There's also a Windows client. Uh, he says, we provide clients with a branded copy of Mac HelpMate, but, uh, but you don't have to do it that way. All they have to do is launch the program and they click a button called Share My Mac. There are some options there where you can uh, give a username and a password and that sort of thing, but really all they have to do is Share My Mac. It says it has over 200 maintenance tools built in. So uh, from remote, he can even, you know, do a uh, he can clean caches and all of that without having to actually dig and do any of that. He just tells the client clean caches and it magically does it. Um, he says we've had a few issues and it's the easiest thing we've found for. Our, we've had few issues, not a few. We've had few issues and it has been the easiest thing we found for our non-technical clients. We've never failed to walk a client through downloading, installing and sharing their screen. So uh, it is not free. Most definitely not free. I believe it's, I think it's 600 bucks a year. Is that right? Did I get that? That sounds, yeah. When I looked at it, it's a, it's about that. So it's a, it's a yearly. Yeah. Fee. Well, I think you can do it. Mo- yeah, so it's 600 bucks annually, uh, 79 monthly, but, um, but, and, and the windows part is free with, with that subscription. So it's all in one, but, uh, but you know, for, for a consultant, I mean, that's that's six hours build probably or less, right, per year. And you've paid for your, paid for it. So that's, you know, not so bad. Uh, certainly not the type of thing that's going to work for helping out, you know, mom uh, a couple of times. But uh, but for anybody that's making money with it, that's a good thing. All right. Uh, moving to John, not not you, John, but uh, but listener John. And he, too, has a comment about uh 375 that in my mind falls into cool stuff found. So we'll treat it like that. He says, I was listening to 375 and was interested to hear your discussion on command line editors for the Mac. 
I understand that you were speaking of the free and, and actually we were talking about the ones that were included in the Mac uh, standard distribution. He says, but I was very surprised that you failed to mention one of your sponsors as the best command line editor ever. And he says that is BB edit. And he's right. Uh, he says, if you simply type from the terminal BB edit space and then the file name, uh, it opens the file in BB edit with full functionality. This is light years beyond VI nano Emacs or anything else. The other nice thing is that it integrates with the lion with its locking. If a file is older and for all of the OS, if it is owned by uh, another user, it, uh, i.e. root, it'll prompt you for admin credentials upon saving instead of just failing the way that nano does. If you forget to do sudo in advance, and that is frustrating. It says one caution though, and this is something to pay attention to folks. If you have bought BB edit from the Mac app store, then you have to install the command line tools manually because of Apple's sandboxing rules. But there is a link and we'll put that link in the show notes. What you do is you buy it through the app store like you normally would. And then, uh, and then you go download the free command line tools from the, uh, from their site. Now, of course the command line tools are useless without BB edit being installed because that's how they work. But, uh, but you can do this. So, uh, says the command line tools in addition to the bb edit editor include bb find and bb diff commands uh and you can use those uh, from the command line <laughs> so thanks john thanks for the reminder you know it's funny i um i i am so used to using the command line on remote machines that mm. when i'm on my mac i always forget that i can do this with bb edit i mean i i know it but it's it's just not part of my my routine. So I'm always editing in nano anyway, which is sort of crazy when I've got BB well, that, right there. You know, we did have a, a little uh, email exchange with our friend, Scott. Hello, Scott. And um, well, he mentioned one that I don't even know if I consider this an editor, but it's called Ed. Oh, it's, it's most definitely an editor. Well, it's sort of. uh, technically. Yes. <laughs> Though I think it's, it's the most minimal editor you will ever encounter. And then it's a, uh, I think a line based editor. So, right. it's a, so you, it makes VI look fancy. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he likes it because it supports regular expressions and that's a good thing. Well, I think back in the day, you know, you know, back with, you know, stone knives and bearskins uh, when, when Scott was, you know, well, when he was doing, you know, the, the old school Unix thing, that that's all you had. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's right. I short spent, of I spent pipe, short of piping things from, you know, to a text file, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it was better than that. So I spent yesterday doing some regular expressions. Um, it always drives me crazy doing that, but we, we set up this cool thing called varnish, which is a, uh, it's a cache. And we did it for, for the Mac observer site. Now so, Dave speak to me. Um, cause I've, I've wanted to learn these, but, uh, uh, tell, tell, tell the, uh, the peanut gallery or, or the crowd, <laughs> uh, what are, well, no, that's a, that's a good term. Okay. Peanuts are cool. Yeah. No, but, but what are, why, why would you need regular expressions and what are they and what do they do for you? Yeah. So with regular expressions, what you're doing is, is you are, let me think of the right way to say this. You are defining a, 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 a search string, right? So uh, you, you might want to say, sometimes uh, you might want to search for text inside a, a, a document, right? And, and this is a very kind of loose uh, description of how this would work. But let's say you have a, a word document and you want to find all the instances of the word John. Right. So you could build a regular expression that said, find me all the instances of the word John. But then you might also want to find uh, all the instances of John uh, 
or maybe Jonathan, right? And so you could say, find me all the words that have, uh, but, but, or rather you want John, but not Jonathan, right? And so you can build a regular expression that says only find me, John, if it has spaces on either side, right? And you could, or you could say, find me anything where that starts with J and ends with N and has either anything in the middle or only letters in the middle or only numbers in the middle. And, and so this can get very, very powerful because you can build on one with one expression. You can kind of build a search for everything that you're looking for. And uh, and that can be really handy because it can be really efficient from a CPU standpoint. And 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 the example, in fact, that that uh, that I'll share with you here is, is a perfect example. So we installed this thing called Varnish yesterday on on Mac Observer. And what Varnish is, is it's a cache. Uh, instead of now, when you visit Mac Observer, instead of talking directly to our Apache server, you talk to our Varnish server and then Varnish decides whether or not you qualify to receive a page uh, from the cache, which is much, much more efficient than going and getting it from Apache or if for whatever reason you need to have it from Apache. And, and there are various reasons why it might not be able to serve you something from the cache. One is, of course, if that document hasn't yet hasn't been requested within the given uh, expiration time frame. And so, you know, it, it, it doesn't exist in the cache anymore. That's one. The other one is if you have a certain cookie, which indicates that you're logged in in a certain way, then we have to go Then We, we don't want you to get it from the cache. We want you to get it from, uh, from the server because you want to, you know, use your login credentials. Well, parsing for that cookie is done with a regular expression. And the beauty of that is it can be done in a heartbeat really, really fast. So Varnish gets this and sees instantly that you have this cookie and knows it can make a split second decision to send you one way or the other. And and so that's where regular expressions can can really come in handy. But they're a pain in the neck because they're there. I've never been able to intuit what regular expressions mean. I always have to go to a reference and build them and test them. And I know that there obviously there are people mm-hmm. out there that write them all the time. Um, I, I have never been one of those. I would I would love to get better at them, though. So likewise. Yeah. So and for uh, and for added fun, if you go to the terminal and you type man space reg R E G E X, it'll yeah. give you a little little ditty about really. Um, well, apparently this oh. is a functionality that's been built into right. Unix for, for quite some time. But like oh, yeah. you, Dave, I, I never really had a, a need uh, to use it, though. I probably should learn it because, yeah, it's very so. So it's a powerful way for you to, I guess, uh, d- d- find text. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Find, find text within a text file. Uh, and and, uh, and it, it's a language to help you find text. That's it. Right? Yeah. Parse a language to help you parse text and tell you when. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Great. Varnish. I got to look up varnish. Oh, that's dude. Because my... caches are cool when when they work. And of course, when they don't, then uh, at least on the Mac, you use something like Onyx to. Right. Yeah. Well, this is a, yeah, this is a different type of. Cache. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you. It's cool though, man. The server is sleeping now. It's like nothing, nothing happened. It's like, you know, running, running more efficiently than it ever has, which is great. Okay. Back. Oh man. All right. That, that I, got kind of a Unix geeky I, there. Sorry, reserve, people. We reserve Sorry. when we do two shows, two days in a row. <laughs> well, we have one or two Unix geeks out there. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So here we go. David, bring us back home. Hey, Dave, this is uh, David over at Main Street Apple, and I uh, just wanted to tell you about a cool thing found. Uh, we just did a product review of the Mount Tech MP5000. This is a 
car mounts for your iPhone. And what's really cool is that it uses the CD slot in your car, which is, let's face it, an obsolete item uh, anymore. So it just slides into your CD slot, really secure, gives you nice, easy access of your iPhone. And uh, it's just really cool. So I would recommend you passing that along to your users. It's the Mount Tech. And you get it on Amazon for like 20 bucks or something. And if you wouldn't um, mind a plug, uh, or you could cut me off, is uh, follow us on Twitter at Main Street Apple, and we take a look at products uh, that help in- enhance our uh, iPhones and iPads and Macs. So uh, thanks, Dave. Keep up the great work. Love the show. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. I thought he was going to end that with, with, our, with our tagline. It sounded like he was heading right towards it. But, uh, but that was good. Mm. Yeah, thanks, David. That's... Uh, that's pretty cool to use the CD. I wonder, I mean, putting that kind of weight on the, on the thing, I'd have to, I want to check that out. That's, that's very interesting to me because I wonder how well it works uh, long-term. Does it, you know, does it warp the, the inside of the mechanism? Does it render it useless mm-hmm. for putting a CD in? You know, I mean, it depends on how it mounts in there. So curious. That's how I am. That's why we do this. Cause we're curious. Uh, we're getting, I, I can't use it cause I don't have a CD player in my car. <sighs> yeah. So, you know, I've seen another one, actually. I'll have to dig it up here, but I've seen another one that actually uh, fits into the uh, air vents, mm-hmm. which I think almost even my old car has, has air vents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> doesn't no, tri- like, Wait, now your, your car doesn't have those triangular windows at, at the front of the driver and passenger doors, does it, John? <laughs> that you crank and you roll them out and you can turn them, right? Oh, air gosh. Some of the those. cars, some of the cars, uh, when I was growing up, my parents had, yes, did have those, I, but, uh, my Mercury grand Marquis had one. Yeah. Hey, but, but it was like all a 1983 right. Mercury, 1982 Mercury grand Marquis, mm. but Hey, uh, all right. So, uh, we're going to jump into questions, but first, if you want to know how to send in your question or your tip or your cool stuff found, uh, and John, I had to do this alone yesterday. This was really not that much fun. Uh, so what? I'm looking forward to doing this together. Uh, yeah, well, I was going to call you and, and figure we could do the outro together, but I really just wanted to get the show out. It had been three yeah. days already. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, and, and like I said, we did this varnish thing that took way more time than I thought yesterday. So anyway, we get to do it together today. So John, if they wanted to email us, tell them how to do it. Well, you know, I have a new way, Dave. Uh Oh, well, no, you could email us, but, but I got a new email here and it's fee to back. No. Oh yeah, that's our, that's our new staff member, feedback at uh, macgeekab.com. <laughs> like John F. Braun, but different. It's feedback. That's right. But no, to be clear, it's feedback at macgeekab.com is how you will send us your tips, your questions. Uh, if you have audio screenshots, uh, that that is the absolute best way to reach us, uh, unless. Well, I, I might as well mention it now, Dave, but unless you uh, you are, are part of our premium uh, community, in which case then it's premium at MacGeekGap.com. And, and what is premium, Dave? I, I think you, you, you know about this, right? Yeah, well, we'll actually sponsor our own show today and, and, and let the uh, premium feed be today's sponsor of, uh, of MacGeekGap. Uh, because we had actually made sure we got all our all our other sponsors in earlier in the month, just in case we didn't get this show out uh, in time getting back from Macworld. Uh, so premium Mackie, Mackie Cap Premium rather, is two extra episodes per month. Uh, it is access to all of the archives. It is that warm, fuzzy feeling you get from supporting your two favorite geeks. And it is just 25 bucks for six months. 
Uh, we really do appreciate it. We have a lot of fun there. And you do get access to this premium at MacGeekCab.com email address where uh, where John and I will uh, will give you uh, a little bit of extra attention as the uh, as the emails come in. So uh, so check that out. Uh, you can visit and f- visit MacGeekCab.com and find out all about that. Uh, yes, the page is confusing. Yes, it has been redesigned. No, the redesign oh. hasn't been rolled out yet uh, because <gasps> the whole TMO redesign hasn't been rolled out. But we are working oh. on that. Yeah, it's I didn't big, know about this. It's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's okay. It really, and is. if you want to see what we talk about um, on premium, uh, you can go to macgeekgap.com. Yes, that's macgeekgap.com, and you will see the show notes. So the show notes are free, and it gives you a flavor for what we talk about, which is pretty much what we talk about on the regular show. Just yeah. more. Just more. 206-666-GEEK is the number to call. And John, GEEK is 4335. And you can leave an audio message there. You can also leave an audio message to us if you Skype MacGeekGab. And you can visit us on Twitter. MacGeekGab at Twitter is the feed for the show. Uh, John F. Braun is the feed for him. Dave Hamilton is the feed for me. And of course, Pilot Pete is the feed for Pilot Pete, whether he is here or not. And lastly, John, tell them about the last place they can find us. Well, there's also Dave. Well, Mac Observer, of course, is, well, is, yes, is the Mac fountain Mac. of all Mac knowledge and wisdom and news and, and other things. So that's on Twitter as well. You can also go to Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. And we've been steadily building a community there. We will let you know when we publish the shows, when the show notes come out. And if you'd like to ask a question, that is uh, certainly another venue to do that. But lastly, Dave, iTunes comments. We always like iTunes comments. That's right. We do. That's right. Absolutely. Do we? Yes, we do. Why not? Well, we like the good comments. (laughs) And the great comments and the fantastic comments. That's right. All right. Uh, I will. I will mention. Feel free to post a, a negative iTunes comment if you feel so inclined. But uh, but if you do have a uh, a complaint or a problem, I, I would prefer you to email us. You can post it there, but please also email us at uh, at either feedback or premium at macgeekup.com because we can't reply to you via iTunes comments. So if you're right. having a problem, we just there's no way for us to get in touch with you. We don't even know who you are. We only see what you see. So there is no secret backend interface that we have access to that lets right. us address anything there. Well, Dave, you've actually well, I, I don't know if you've mentioned it often, but there is another email address. Customer support at MacGeekGab.com. That's mainly for our premium members. But uh, but it is worth mentioning that uh, if you're having trouble with your account, you can send stuff to premium at. But customer support includes both John and I, just like premium does, and also adds Adam in. And uh, and he's usually the one that's going to be the one helping you with with those kinds of problems. So uh, so, you know, right. So technical issues. So payment issues, certainly, but also just technical issues with the podcast that would um Yep. I'd say, yeah, customer support. Is is it customer support at MacGeekGab.com? It is. Yep. Okay. Just making sure. Yep. All right. I, th- I, I think we covered everything. All right. So well, not go, everything. Let's go to Kaz here and uh, and start answering some questions while we have some uh, some time left. Kaz writes, I was listening to MacGeekGab 374 where you were discussing the hows, how to remote in from an iOS device. And it got me thinking about something I've been trying to accomplish with my photography. Is there a way to wirelessly send the pictures from my camera to my iPad? 
I know John has talked about a Wi-Fi card in previous episodes, but that's for SD and my camera only uses CF cards. I have a MacBook Pro and Lightroom 3 allows me to shoot tethered, but how do I get them from my MacBook Pro to the iPad wirelessly? Or better yet, can I skip the MacBook Pro and go directly to the iPad? So, uh, so this gets interesting, John. Uh, what we talked about, of course, was the iFi cards, but those are SD and not compact flash. Uh, Correct. So... So there's a couple of a couple of things that I've thought of, and I'm sure there's a couple of things that you've thought of, John, and, and we'll probably come up with more as we talk through this. The iPad camera connection kit would be another option. Um, it when you get that, it gives you two dock adapters for the iPad and also also the iPhone. It works with either. One has an SD card slot, which obviously isn't going to work for you. The other has a USB slot uh, or USB port. And you can plug your camera directly into your iPad this way and import pictures. You can also plug a keyboard in. I mean, there's there's other kind of fun things that you can do with it. But uh, but that would be one way. It's not wireless, but it does allow you to skip your MacBook Pro. And if, for example, you wanted to take your iPad with you on vacation, uh, you didn't you and you want to offload pictures, you can do it straight to your iPad and you don't need a computer. Uh, so that's that's kind of. That's where I'll start, and I'll, I'll pass it off to you, John. I got some other ideas, but we'll, we'll see where you go with this. All right. The other option here. So I found this in searching. Unfortunately, so one thing I found in my search. Uh, so first, Dave, what you said is absolutely correct. The, the, the iFi card for people that have SD cameras is awesome. But still, a lot of the pro cameras are, for whatever reason, they they... Just offer CF, which is compact flash, which is a different form factor, which tends to have more memory and probably higher performance. So two things I found. I, I, I should point out about the the iFi card. It does mm-hmm. work wireless to your to your iPhone or to your iPad. And it's pretty, yes, it's pretty cool. So, it, it, you know, you take the picture and it just magically appears there. It burns a lot of battery on both sides of the equation. But yes, uh, but it and is they, cool. And they recently offered what's uh, what they call direct mode which will pretty much upload directly up oh, let's mute that <laughs> so and they offered something recently which will directly uh, rather than requiring a wi-fi base station and putting them on a computer right. they now have a feature on the latest product that will put it right into your iDevice called direct mode yeah it's which cool. is cool what it what it does is it um, you, you pair your, your iDevice with their, when you set up the card, the card will create a wireless network and you, you connect your iDevice to that, that wireless network. And then if you're out and about, presumably you're on 3g or whatever, while you're shooting pictures, your iPhone is each time you shoot a picture, the wireless network on the card wakes up for 30 seconds. Your iDevice, because of what it does, will find that wireless network when it wakes up start the transfer. Once the picture is transferred down, the wireless network shuts down and you're back in business. So it, it, it mm. is efficient as it can be. And it's actually pretty cool to have your stuff just magically appear on your phone. So, and then right. you can have your phone upload them to like, you know, flicker or whatever over three G when the wireless shuts down and it's all pretty cool. All right. Sure. So, sorry. So the only thing I found is I did find a company that offers a, an adapter. Um, and I sent you the link day, but it's a synchro Tech. Okay. CF multi compact flash type two to i fi plus multi card adapter. Uh, it's about the only thing I found. I, I couldn't find anybody. Uh, 
I found references. SanDisk at one point made a CF Wi-Fi card, but it seems they don't make it anymore, which is sad. So um, I found this adapter. They do. Ha- uh, number one, iFi says, please don't try to use a CF to SD adapter because it won't work. These guys claim uh, this adapter here and it's 28 bucks. I, I see on their site, you yeah. know, so could be worth it. They do specifically say it does not work with any iFi X2 generation card, which unfortunately is the one that I, I think you need to do the direct mode thing. So it might be. Yeah. So this adapter may give you some of the functionality you're looking for, because you can still, if you're out and about the iFi card will upload pictures yeah, it, it's not going to do quite what he wants. The, the, the iFi card, again, if you're near a hotspot or public Wi-Fi, may be able to upload into the cloud, so it may approach what you want, but yep. it sounds like a void that somebody should... You know, I keep talking to the iFi guys. I, I love them. They're, they're great. Their product yeah. is awesome. I just wish they would come out with one for CF because the, I think that's the number one request that these guys get is, why can't you make it for my CF card? Because a lot of pro cameras and just a lot of cameras... UCF, but isn't isn't the pro- I thought, and maybe I made this up, but I thought I had heard somewhere along the line Probably. that that uh, sure I'll I'll keep going with it though. Uh, <laughs> Go, that, run that, that there wasn't enough power being applied to CF for the iFi cards to function properly, really? and maybe that's why the X two won't work with this adapt. I don't know, but I thought I had heard that quite a while ago when you know when these all first came out. Um, so. That's, you know, I'll have to talk to some of our, yeah, because we, we know I, they'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. They'll tell me. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's too bad though, because CF is certainly a, a popular format again, more on yeah. the pro side. I think, um, I have another uh, thought. Go. So he said that, uh, using Lightroom, he was able to, uh, to connect directly to his Mac. How could he get, um, you know, what did he say? How do I get them from my MacBook Pro to the iPad wirelessly? Well, I have an answer. Yeah. Uh, you, you could you could have one of there's two things. Number one, you could use Dropbox, right? So that it's automatically taking these pictures, you know, have the pictures automatically saved to your Dropbox folder. Uh, and then, boom, they're going up to the cloud. The other thing you could do is you could have you could put them into a folder that using folder actions auto imported them into um, into iPhoto, and now of course iPhoto uses uh, Photo Stream, mm. right? And Photo Stream magically appears on your iDevices if you configure it to do so. So you know, there's there are some other ways of making this happen. So there you go, couple of, couple more ideas, geeky stuff. Ready to talk to Todd, or should we go to Phil? Your call. Um. Yeah, we'll, let's talk to Todd. I don't know if we have an answer for Todd, but no, we well, have an answer. Let's, let's, uh, okay. Hiya, John, Dave, and sometimes Pilot Pete. This is ADD Todd out of Orem, Utah. I'm on a MacBook Model 4, 1, and Snow Leopard. How do I get applications that you've recommended on the few times that you've put out the premium for us non-subscribers? And the other apps that you mentioned on your regular show, without going to this freaking app store. Um, for example, all I know that iBooks Author will not work on a um, MacBook with Snow Leopard. I would like to go ahead and at least take a look at it, play around with it, see what I can do with it, see if it gives me any ideas on my current ebooks. 
But every time I try going to the app store, oh, you're on Snow Leopard. We're not going to do diddly squat for you. So anyway, I'm not going to leave any information. I'm just going to go ahead and listen to the weekly podcast. Please. All right. So, uh, the, so, so the problem, so the app store to, to, to dispel any potential misinterpretation of that, mm-hmm. the app store works fine on snow leopard. As long as you're running. Sure. I, I believe it's 10, six, eight, uh, is, is the one maybe 10, six, seven, but, but certainly right. 10, six, eight app store works fine. However, some applications, not all, but some are built with dependencies on libraries that only exist in Lion. You know, one of the things that Apple does when, when they when they build a new OS, there's all the features that they talk about that, that you and I get to see immediately in the OS, right? So things like File Vault 2, right? right? That, you know, that kind of stuff is, is readily apparent, the, the mission control, right? But then there's these other things that are, are there frameworks that are there for developers to take advantage of. And one of the developers that readily and happily takes advantage of all these new frameworks is <laughs> Apple. Right. And, and so they build these apps and, and, and they require lion because the, the apps are built on these frameworks. So, uh, so some, you know, and these frameworks are the things right. that provide a lot of cool features for people. So, uh, you know, so, so, the problem is you're trying to run an app that is compiled and, and written with the intention of running on Lion on Snow Leopard. And it, it won't run because those frameworks don't exist. It's not some artificial, not necessarily some Ooh, artificial. Good. Right. Good. Not necessarily some artificial thing that says uh, we only want you to buy, you know, you got to buy Lion. Lion's not that expensive. Right. I mean, it's twenty nine bucks. So, uh right. It, you know, my guess is it's not some artificial thing. And my guess is it's that, you know, whoever, whatever team built it at Apple leveraged some thing that's that's required. that's built into Lion. Right. And more power to him. So. So I think for 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 Todd, I think the fish shake should be at Apple. Perhaps. Why? Why? But I don't know. Well, well uh, no f- well, maybe not. No, but, but but, you know, actually, I did this, Dave, and maybe you did this, too. But I was trying with all my heart to help Todd to try to find a workaround. Sure. So here's what I did, because as, as you probably know, I have two machines here. I have my MacBook Pro with Lion and my Mini, which I'm on right now on my doing the podcast thing. And it's still on Snow Leopard because I don't know if I necessarily. Well, number one, I, uh, there's one program I have that won't work quite right. But number two, I think I think it's good because I'm not going to assume that all the listeners have Lion. Right. You know, I mean, there, there, there may be some people that even don't have leopard or, or uh, snow leopard. They may be a bit behind the curve there. Uh, uh, hopefully not too behind the curve, unless you're on a, you know, Motorola machine or a G5. But back to the point here. The thing is, I tried to trick the powers that be and it didn't work, Dave. So I downloaded with the app store on my Lion machine, the iBooks author app, and then Thinking I was being clever, I copied it to my network drive and then copied it over to my mini. And you know what? First, and and this actually kind of I got a kick out of. So I copied it in my applications folder. Number one, the icon for the app has a circle with a line through it. I'm like, how do they even know this? And number two, when I try to launch it, I get a error that specifically says you can't use this version of the application iBooks author with this version of Mac OS X. Right. You have Mac OS X 10.6.8. This application requires 
10.7.2, to your point, Dave, there is something in this application that requires components that are only present in Lion. So, and, and apparently only in 10.7.2. Right, because they say that in the error message. Right. And I'm going to assume the error message is, is being accurate. So you need 10.7.2. So one, yes, you can shake your fist that Apple requires you to get Lion to run the iBooks author app. But unless you are a very skilled developer and can dig into the app and remove the dependency on Lion. I don't even think you could do that. I, I uh, uh, Technically, I think it's possible, but it's, it's certainly not worth the effort. Right. So right. they are using features that are only available in Lion, uh, OS 10 Lion. Yeah. And sorry, but that's, you know, that that's the answer. That's how it goes. They're, they're enforcing dependencies and, and the, you know, they're trying to do it in a nice way in the app store by saying, sorry, man, I, I can't do it. It's not a conspiracy. It's, it's just the way it is. So. All right. So for those of you that want to upgrade to Lion, let's see what phil has to say phil says after seeing it you need to run lion for the ibooks author app i am about to make the jump i can install it but i want to know if it's better to install over snow leopard or do a fresh install if it's a fresh install is it better to make a super duper backup or a time machine for restoring my apps and data okay so we've been through this a lot uh and i think the generally accepted advice here in the mac geek app circles is to make a clone of your drive. Uh, certainly have a time machine backup as well, but I think the, the, these steps are going to be easier with a clone. So make a clone of your drive, then install Lion Clean. Uh, as soon as Lion comes around, it's going to say, do you want to... And, and installing Lion Clean, we'll talk about how to do that in a minute because it's not entirely obvious. Uh, and, then, and then when it comes up the first time, it's going to say, how do you want to set things up? And one of the options is going to be to restore from a time machine backup, which you could. The other is to use migration assistant. Either one's going to be fine, but I think the time machine backup thing is uh, sorry. I think the time machine backup thing is going to be slower. So using migration assistant from your clone will likely be a faster answer. Uh, You can go ahead and do a default migration assistant at this point. It's going to bring over some system data, but not much. Uh, for the most part, it's going to bring your user folder over and uh, and your uh, applications over. And and that's from what I've seen and from what I've experienced here, because I've done it uh, several times, is that gives you a pretty clean version of Lion in terms of, of system stuff. Obviously, if you've got some, you know, munched up preferences for apps or whatever in your user folder, you're going to bring those over with you. So that's the decision you need to make. But otherwise, yeah, I, I, I think. I think that's the way to do it. Uh, would would you agree with that, John? In a general sense, yes. Because although I have not done it, yep. <laughs> so on both my machines, I've done the upgrade path, but okay. but I would say yes. To, uh, just because I I want to experience what some people experience, uh, some of our listeners, and uh, and go through the pain of trying to debug all the things that get munched up when you, when you do an upgrade install instead of a fresh install. So, right. so I agree with you. That's, uh, I think, the cleanest way short of, I mean, some people, you know, are extreme and they will install Lion Fresh and then reinstall all their apps. And sure. to me, that's just a painful, time-consuming thing. But I, I think what you're suggesting is a, a good balance between time and and avoiding any sort of bugs right so uh, the one thing to point out though is that installing lion clean is not necessarily the easiest thing 
Um, because what you need to do and, and honestly, you might even find, this is going to sound crazy, but you can, you can go through the process and we'll point to, I think Don McAllister had a fantastic thing at, uh, at, uh, I forget what his blog. It's not, maybe it's screencast blog, I guess he, uh, he wrote a, a great thing explaining how to get the lion installer onto a, uh, thumb drive, but there is an easier way that doesn't require you digging into the package and, and building a, an install for the thumb drive. And that is make your clone first and set that aside. Then install lion like you were doing an upgrade. Once it's finished reboot and hold down command R, which will bring you to the recovery partition. And from there you can actually wipe out your hard drive using disk utility and then install lion fresh from the recovery partition. So you, you can do it without having to create a USB boot disc and all of that. Um, it, you know, your mileage may vary. It's up to it. It's there's no straightforward process for saying I have a machine with snow leopard. I want to do a clean install of line it, but, uh, but that's the, the, you know, one of those two will be the easy path for you. Hey, uh, Hey John, I wanted to share something with you. I don't think I told you about this at Macworld Expo. Mm-hmm. I had a, I had a conversation with someone and I'll leave their name out of it. Um, it about, um, about something that really concerns me about time machine. So mm-hmm. I, I, I want to take a brief minute to talk about what time machine does. So we all know that time machine backs up every hour, but each hour it only backs up the stuff that has changed. Okay. But if you, right. were, if you were to dig into your time machine drive and look at any of the hourly backups, it mm-hmm. appears as though that backup has everything in it. And the reason for that, correct. Right. The reason for that is that Time Machine uses something called hard links and it saves one copy of every file until it has changed. And it simply uses what's called a hard link to point to wherever the original version of that file is. So, for example, uh, I have a document called uh, uh, Dave's Macworld schedule and I haven't updated that in over a week, even though Time Machine is going and Dave's Macworld schedule will be in every Time Machine backup all these okay. current backups are going to point with right. hard links back to that original one. But but to be smart, so rather than, yeah, so duh, kind of duh, well, to me and you and, and to the listeners, but rather than backing up the entire contents of your drive, what they're backing up is a pointer, if you will. Right. To content, which if, if it hasn't changed, so, so it's contained somewhere very deep in uh, very deep within whatever the last backup it was that that file changed. Right. That's where it is. They'll right. link to it rather than backing up the content because that would be an incredible waste of space. Right. Got it. So, okay. okay. So it's fair to say, and, and, and tell me if you disagree with me, but it's fair to say that for the most part, your time machine backups are more hard links than anything else, right? Because they're building. Correct. Hard- because yeah, I would think most people's, yeah, I mean your content is incremental for most people. Yeah, so your apps, uh, all the stuff on your drive is not changing hour by hour, except right. maybe for pictures or documents or whatever you're doing. Yes, I agree. Okay, now be ready to run screaming from Time Machine. <laughs> Hard links are not native elements to HFS Plus, which is the file system required when using Time Machine. Yeah. They are not native. They were built right. back. What do you say? Yeah. They, they were. Let me finish. They were built. Finish. They were built 
back when HFS Plus was devised and OS 10 was going to be running, you know, or Unix was going to be running right as part of OS 10, certain command line Unix stuff required the ability that required the construct of hard links in order to work properly. So what they did was they added a meta file to uh, to HFS plus that manages these hard links. Okay. And it's built to manage like a thousand of them. Okay. Not millions of them, which is what's happening with time machine. So a lot of times you'll see, you know, we've seen time machine backups get corrupted and they can't be fixed. And it doesn't make sense. Cause it's like, wait a minute, you know, it's just all it needs is file system corruption, file system repair. Well, if that file that the OS is using to manage hard links gets munged, Time Machine is doomed. And uh, and that happens a lot. So it's sort of crazy that Apple's using uh, hard links with Time Machine. And I think what happened was, you know, this 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 idea of of sort of uh, um, backfilling and, and and creating this workaround for hard links was was done. And people knew it wasn't going to be used for much. So they just sort of left it alone. And then there was some institutional memory lost and. And whatever team was developing Time Machine said, oh, let's use hard links. That's a perfect thing. And of course, my guess is they assumed that there was no problem with using hard links because they work great in, in most Unix file systems, except HFS Plus, because it's not really a Unix file system. And uh, and so this is this is why Time Machine is yet another reason why Time Machine is scary. The, the main reason Time Machine is scary, of course, is it doesn't verify your backup. So you have no way of knowing that what it backed up is really what's out there, which makes it not really a backup to begin with. But, but this is, this is why time machines cool. It's built into the OS. It gives you versioning. It's really, really cool, but it is not the, you do not want to be relying on time machine as your only source of backing up. So there you go. Correct. Huh? Well, you know what I did actually, Dave. So my backup strategy going out to MacWorld, yeah, on my MacBook Pro, is I did two backups. So I backed up using Carbon Copy Cloner. I backed up to uh, one of my FireWire 800 drives, and then I also had enough space on that drive to do an entire, with some exclusions, Time Machine backup. So how cool is that? I mean, so I had two backups. One, I had a snapshot in time. And number two, I did a time machine backup because I want to do incremental backups. Um, the other thing I did is because my Aperture library is so huge, I excluded that because I could fit everything in one drive. And I had a separate USB drive for my Aperture backup, which is where I have all my, my photographs. So I, I, I think the story we're telling here, Dave, or, or I think you were hinting at, but never have one single backup do not I, I i would i would say do not rely on time machine but do not rely on anything right if it's your only backup always have at least two and i would say in a lot of cases i have three in that i use dropbox SugarSync, and uh, uh let me see box.com and uh pogo plug so i have four online backup <laughs> services with, with, with where i store various uh data but yeah, I guess the lesson here again, do not have one backup because if that fails, you're, you're, you're in big trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And big you have, I've learned it, Dave. And even, even here now, you know, I have uh, the Drobo, the Drobo is a, a wonderful device and I, I got some of my data on the Drobo as well, because that's, uh, that's here. 
I, I guess another thing to add you know, is while, uh, I'm, while I'm at it, and and I'm go, and I, I'm in this mode of uh, of 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 kind of deconstructing everything that that we've ever talked mm-hmm. about on this show. I, I, I don't <laughs> ever. I, well, maybe. <laughs> um, I've been thinking a lot lately about the Drobo and uh, and yeah. some conversations I had at, at at CES with 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 colleagues and peers and and in listeners and the same at MacWorld. Uh, I really don't know if I had it all to do again. It, it's fair. It, it's it's important to point out that the Drobos that we have were provided to us by by Drobo, right? So so yes. we did not invest money in the Drobos. We invested in the drives that are in them, but we did not invest money in the Drobos. And I think if I was if I had to do it all again, and if I had to do it from from the start, I'm not sure that I would do the Drobo path. It's it's cool. Now don't get me wrong. <sighs> it's really Really? How could you say such a thing? Well, it's cool, right? Because it's, it's, you, you know, you can add stuff to it and remove stuff from it. Well, and, and it's, and, well, I'm with and you. It, I like it as a option, not the option. But, but although it is a, although it's a enhanced, I would say it's, it's raid, it, uh, raid being putting this together to provide you with a, a right. backup in a, in a, a fashion where if OneDrive fails, you, you don't lose everything. I would right. say they've they've done the best job of doing that because the thing is they don't conform to RAID standards and that right. you pull a drive out, you put one in. I, I think that the, so, so to Durbo's credit, they've done RAID properly in that you shouldn't have to have the same size drive or know all these RAID 0, 1, 2, 5, 10, whatever terminology. So I think they've done it properly. But 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 I think what you're saying, or at least what I'm saying, is you, you should never rely on any one um Medium, yeah, I, I would not. No, no, no. Trust that's not my at all. That's not at all what I'm. I'm not okay, saying you continue, should rely on continue. one. Continue. I'm saying that if I had to do it all over again, it, it, Drobo is awesome for, frankly, for the novice user, right? Because it just handles everything for you. But the, well, let you throw a drive in there, and it just figures it out, right? The cost is is twofold. One, one, there's the cost, right? It's not cheap to to buy a, a you know like a Drobo FS. I think is seven hundred bucks for the for the enclosure without yeah. drives. Uh, but the, but the speed it's so dog slow. I, I mean you know other RAID solutions, albeit more technical and requiring more geeky knowledge, are way way faster, especially for stuff like Time yeah. Machine, where you've got individual files and they're way cheaper. Um, so I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I think so, it, I well, know. I think it's a compromise. It, well, uh, I it think is. they're they're not offering they're they're not offering the highest speed, but I think they're offering ease of use. Right. Uh, and uh, a pretty good level of reliability. When I first Absolutely. got mine, Dave, actually, I had some drives just sitting around. Uh, so it, uh, so so the one both you and I got takes a SATA drive. Right. I had one that was sitting in my office here for, you know, years and I popped it in there. And probably after a day, it said and the light flashed red. And it's like, dude, you got to pull this drive. It, 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 it's shot. Yeah. And when I pulled it, it rebuilt the array and it was it, it took a long time. But. Yeah, I, I I guess what I think you're saying and, and my observation, and I think it's valid, is it's not the fastest solution, but it's I think it's the most user friendly. And I don't know if I'd say novice. I, I think that's uh, if, if a novice user needs a solution like that, that the Drobo is the easiest one. Well, in no order question. to to retain their data on multiple drives and have a lot of capacity and not worrying if a drive dies, you're going to lose everything. Then, right. then uh, to me, it's an ideal solution for that. Uh, for for performance, yeah, I'm with you. It, yeah. it it's not the highest performing, and I don't I don't think they advertise. No, they don't. They that don't. fact. I'm just saying, if I had to do it again, I I 
if I had to do it from scratch, I probably would do it differently. But that's all. Well, you probably, well, we're, you and I are geeky, but exactly. you, you I, I think you would. So either, and the thing is, this utility, you can build your own array. That's right. Yeah, but I wouldn't do it that way either necessarily. No, you probably do something because, yeah, like we talked, so you got RAID 0, RAID 1, RAID 5, RAID 10. Maybe you should do that, a little side project, because you got yeah. all the spare time. Yeah. So you should build your own RAID array, and we, we know a lot of people that build yeah. cool RAID boxes. Yeah, sure. And, and uh, again, so you probably wouldn't go with the software in OS ten. You, you probably use a custom thing, or I'd would pro- you no, go with use, this utility? I'd probably use hardware RAID from somebody else. Oh, okay. I mean, if I'm going to go after speed, I might as well do it the right way. You know, I don't know. That's just something. It's just something I've been thinking about. And, you know, when you do a show two days in a row, you, you kind of reserve the right to uh, <laughs> to ramble a little bit. And I, I'm still not caught up. I think I'm in like, uh, I'm in like Eastern Pacific time zone. I, my body is, my body. <laughs> We're working our way east. <laughs> I don't know. I You know, the entire month of January, I was in Vegas for CES. Oh, and so here. that throws you west and then you're east and then... Uh, <sighs> I don't. I have. I. I don't know what time it is. All I know is, I go to sleep early on the East Coast, and I. Mm. I, I. Like the other night when we get when I got home from from uh, Macworld, mm. I went to sleep at eleven thirty, which is early for me. I didn't wake up until ten a.m. on Monday. That's that's pretty. Yeah, late. I did that's about really the same. Late. That's really yeah. I landed late. about. Yeah, I left uh, Bradley about midnight. And unfortunately, there's not too many. That there's still. What, what do you? Yeah, there's there were still idiots on the road. Not as many. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we will be back. I believe we're back on Monday, whatever Monday is. And I can't count that far ahead because uh, I'm still not caught up on sleep. Uh, but we will be back on uh, the first Monday in February with uh, Mac Geek 379, if if my memory is uh, correct, and. Um, you know how to contact us because we already talked about that. We would like to thank. Is there anything to do before we uh, before we bounce out of here, John? I'm ready to bounce, yo. All right. So we would like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast. He converts this and most every show to AAC, though I want to note that we did not convert 377 to AAC. By the time we got the audio ready, uh, I didn't want you folks to wait any longer for that. So that's why everyone got the MP3 of that. Uh, of course, Cashfly provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And the podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software with their command line tools, Text Expander from Smile, and PDF Pen for iPad from Smile, which won a TMO Editor's Choice Award. Awesome. Uh, and of course, Gazelle at gazelle.com to sell your electronics. And uh, I think. That's all we got. So have fun. And don't get caught. Made up.